Please pray with me. Father, as we look at these parables, we ask that you would open up their meaning to us. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds to receive them and what you have for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the third week that we've been looking at Jesus' parables in Matthew 13. And our four soil samples from a couple weeks ago are making a guest appearance. Two weeks ago, Jesus taught us that there are four different kinds of soil present here today. Yet only one in four soils will listen to and embrace Jesus' message. One week ago, Jesus taught us that there is wheat in his church and there are weeds in his church. There are good people and evil people inside the church. That startling truth helps explain why evil things happen in the church. Today, we're going to learn three new things about the kingdom from Jesus. He is going to teach us that the kingdom of heaven is surprisingly powerful. It is surprisingly joyful, and it has surprisingly high standards. Today we're going to, Jesus explains that in a series of five parables. We're going to break those into three groups, explain each of those truths, and then look at one story for each truth that illustrate that point. The first thing we see in verse 31 is that the kingdom of heaven is surprisingly powerful. To illustrate this, Jesus tells the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. If we were to modernize this parable, we could say, the kingdom of heaven is like two men working in a garage. They toiled and toiled and toiled. Few people noticed them. Some didn't think it would work out. But their efforts produced Google. And today, almost everyone in this room uses Google on a daily basis. The parable of the seed and the parable of the yeast teach us two things about the power of the kingdom. It packs a surprisingly powerful punch for starting so small, and it's often working hidden from view. Both these parables start out with tiny ingredients. You probably can't see the mustard seed I'm holding between my fingers. Many of you probably didn't see the mustard seed that you actually are sitting on right now. About 30 of you are sitting on mustard seeds. I scattered them around. They're pretty easy to overlook, aren't they? Mustard seeds are about a twelfth of an inch in diameter, and yet they've been known to grow ten feet tall along the banks of the Jordan River. So that means they increase in size about 144,000%. Not too bad for such a tiny thing. The parable of the yeast teaches that this surprisingly powerful thing and its workings are often hidden from view. In verse 33, our pew Bibles read, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The Greek word translated here as mixed in literally means hid in. H-I-D space I-N, hid in. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. 
the ways of the kingdom and the kingdom itself may at times be hidden from view. But it is still working even if its workings are out of the public eye. That hidden yeast produces enough bread to feed a hundred people. A measure of flour is a standard measurement. It's about 12 quarts. So when Jesus says three measures of flour, we're talking about 36 dry quarts of flour, enough to make bread for a hundred people. Sometimes the church and the kingdom feel so insignificant, feel so overlooked. Camera crews and news reporters don't come to our worship services to find out what the latest good news of the week is. Crowds don't line up around the block like they do for an iPhone release or the latest movie. Sometimes I feel like one of those people on the sidewalk that are handing out flyers about a new restaurant or, or some political cause they want you to get involved with, you know, the, the kind that you, the kind that I generally ignore. I'll, I'll say no thank you, but I never take their stuff. Sometimes that's how I feel. When I try to build relationships with people in my neighborhood who aren't part of the kingdom, and when I invite them to kingdom things, so often I feel like nobody's interested in this insignificant thing. That's actually part of the reason I changed my Facebook profile. I no longer list my employment at Ascension on my profile, and I untag pictures of me when I have vestments on, because I've realized that as I get to know people in my neighborhood, things will be going great. But then sometimes I become Facebook friends with them, and all of a sudden they know I'm a pastor, and this wall goes up. So I'm trying to, sometimes it's easier if they just get to know me as a normal person. <laughs> sometimes, you know, I think nothing's going to come of this. But I'm encouraged by Jesus' words that often we can't see the yeast at work. Often it's working behind the scenes, growing, multiplying in ways we can't see. When I get discouraged about that, I think of some of Frederick Dale Bruner's stories from the past and the present. He points out that if you look back, compared to world powers and popular ideologies and philosophies, the church and the tiny gospel it hopes in seem like small potatoes. He says, how many tanks does the Pope have? But where are all the ancient faiths, philosophies, and forces that once vexed the church? Where are the Stoics, the Gnostics, the Roman army itself? He says, the church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. He goes on to say, popular movements and ideologies almost always seem stronger than the church. They zip along, they fly, they zoom. The church limps. But the church is the one that survives. Frederick Bruner observed that when he was living in the Philippines, there was a long highway he would drive on, and he noticed there were no academies of Plato on that highway. But there were many churches. A hundred years from now, Apple and Google may or may not exist. The prevailing popular philosophies of this day may or may not exist. 
But the kingdom of heaven will still be present, sometimes hidden, but always surprisingly powerful. Let's take a look at Jesus' next teaching. The kingdom of heaven is surprisingly joyful. In the next two parables, Jesus says, The kingdom is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field where the treasure was. Hiddenness comes in again here. But in this parable, the emphasis is not on hiddenness, but on the joy and abandon that overcome those who find the kingdom. Both the man that finds the treasure and the man who finds this pearl of great value go and sell everything they had. The text is explicit. It says all. These men sell absolutely everything they have. They throw diversification to the wind. They cash out their retirement plans, sell their cars, their homes, everything they had, and buy that pearl. But simply because that investment was unconventional, does that mean it was a bad business decision? It was smart business. It's easy to look at this passage and read it and think, wow, these guys are making sacrifices. They're not making a sacrifice. They are making a smart business decision. They marshal all their resources and pool all their resources to obtain something of greater value. It was a shrewd business deal. But we need to be careful in understanding what this buying means. It does not mean that they were buying a membership to the country club. They're not paying their dues to enter the kingdom of heaven. What's going on here is a pattern that's repeated anytime somebody discovers what the kingdom is about. You'll remember from two weeks ago that all four soils heard the words of the kingdom, and yet only one really listened and got it. These men that buy the pearl, that buy the treasure, they're not the third soil who let the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke out the word of the kingdom. And they have the joy of the second soil, but they're also sober-minded enough to know what it will take to be in the kingdom long-term. This is what happens when people listen and keep listening and keep listening until they get what the kingdom is about. When that happens, everything that seemed important fades into the background. And all of a sudden, here is this treasure that everything else pales in comparison to. So what, what is this joy that they discovered? When I think about the joy of the kingdom, I think of Bob Goff. Bob's a man who lives in San Diego. He's a lawyer there. And when people want to meet him, he often says, hey, that's great. Let's meet at my office. The address is 1313 South Harbor Road in Anaheim. That's the address for Disneyland. But he's not making a joke. He says, meet me there, go inside, find the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And outside, there's this little island. Walk across the bridge to the island. There's a picnic table there, and I'll meet you there. 
And he has serious meetings with corporate lawyers there and foreign dignitaries sometimes. When 9-11 happened, Bob, Bob's children, who were school-aged, wanted to write the leaders of the world and, and figure out what was going on to learn from them. They wanted to invite them to their house in San Diego for a sleepover. And you know what their dad said? Go for it. So they wrote hundreds of leaders, and none of them could come for a sleepover. But 20 said, why don't you come visit us? So Bob took his kids out of school, and they went on this world tour visiting leaders. And the kids asked them, what do you hope in? Because they thought if they understood that, they would understand how the leader viewed the world. Bob does all kinds of crazy adventures around the world because he loves Jesus. He helps law enforcement people free child slaves and works in the sex traffic industry in India and other parts of Asia. Bob has been captured by the joy of the kingdom. You get the sense that when you hear him speak, that he knows that Jesus loves him no matter what happens. You get the sense that he knows that with Jesus, it's never about, what have you done for me lately? He loves us when we're popular and when we're not popular. He loves us no matter who else does or doesn't believe in us, regardless of how good or bad we make him look. But Bob also knows that this Jesus who loves him so much is his partner in crime. And all of a sudden, when you discover what the kingdom is about, you realize that here is this guy that loves you like crazy, but he also wants to go on all these adventures with you, and he's going to help you on them, and he has all these amazing resources. And, yeah, there'll be some flops along the way, but Jesus will always be there to extend a hand to help you out, back up, even when people are kicking you while you're down or when others have walked away. That's what I think about when I think of the joy of the kingdom. This joy is discovered by those who keep listening. In Proverbs, God promises that anyone who seeks after and keeps seeking after and keeps seeking after wisdom will find it. It may take sweat and lots of perseverance, but it's the same thing with the kingdom. God promises that those who earnestly seek to understand what's going on, God will reveal that. So if you haven't had that experience, keep seeking, keep listening. So we've seen the surprising power of the kingdom. We've seen the surprising joy of the kingdom. And in these parables of the pearl and the treasure, we begin to see the surprisingly high standards of the kingdom. Commenting on what these men do in buying the pearl, Frederick Bruner says this, their joy enables the selling, but only selling gets the treasure. Joy enables the selling, but only selling gets the treasure. In verse 47, Jesus gives us one last parable about some fishermen that go out and they catch this fish and bring it to shore and they sort out the bad from the good. And he says that's what it's going to be like at the end of the age. The angels are going to sort out the, the righteous from the unrighteous. And Jesus links these parables together to say, 
the kingdom has high standards. Those who do not give their all, when they discover the joy of the kingdom, they'll be thrown out. When I think of the high standards of the kingdom, I think of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was a, a charismatic leader, a great athlete. He had all kinds of things going for him. But when he graduated college, he and some friends, instead of taking high power jobs, chose to go to Ecuador to a part of the remote jungle that had never heard the words of the kingdom. They started befriending this, this tribe, but it was a super, super slow process. This tribe was used to killing strangers, to killing members of neighboring tribes. It was a super slow process. It seemed that they were slowly building momentum, but one day everything totally fell apart, and Jim and his friends were found dead, killed by this tribe they were trying to let know about the kingdom. And it looked like this tiny gospel had been snuffed out in that part of the world. A couple years ago, I, I had the privilege of meeting one of those men's sons, along with the men who killed his father. Today, that, that same tribe is a flourishing group of Christians who go and tell other tribes about this kingdom. Jim Elliot knew that the kingdom is surprisingly powerful and joyful and has high standards. And one day in his journals, he wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim knew that in giving everything, he wasn't making a sacrifice, just a good business deal. As you go about your week, if you are discouraged and the kingdom of heaven seems hidden and insignificant, know that it is still at work just like the yeast, surprisingly powerful in ways we can't always see. As you go about your week, may you, like Bob Goff, know the joy of the kingdom. And in your joy, may you make a good business decision knowing that the kingdom has high standards. Because you are no fool if you do give what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus was such a great teacher. We ask that you would sink these truths into our heart, that your kingdom is powerful in ways that we can't even see. We pray that you would bring the joy of the kingdom more and more into our lives. And I pray that you would enable us with joy and a sober mind to invest everything we have in your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.